Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. And Jesus, we do thank you for laying down your life for us. You had all the power and all the authority. You could have called a legion of angels to defend you as the Jews and the Romans sought to arrest you and crucify you. And yet in your love, you willingly laid down your life for us that we might be forgiven. We are overwhelmed with gratitude towards you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you for the magnificent salvation plan which the Trinity formulated and enacted to rescue us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we glorify you. And we pray now, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Lord, as we read the words of Matthew chapter 13, would you speak, would you challenge, would you teach, would you change us for your glory? And as I preach, may my words not be my words, but be words from you, Lord God, of you, words that are true, that speak truth to all the people in Christ Church Fairham and all the people watching. Come, Holy Spirit, move mightily, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that last weekend you enjoyed celebrating Easter. I hope you enjoyed eating traditional Easter food, maybe roast lamb on Easter Sunday. I hope you enjoyed an Easter egg or two as well. But I especially hope that you enjoyed celebrating Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross, and then his triumphant resurrection from the dead. Because this is the gospel we believe. This is the good news of Christianity, that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that on the third day he was raised from the dead. And the reason that's such wonderful good news, that word gospel means good news. So the reason that is good news is because it shows that God loves us. For Jesus Christ is God and he loved us so much he died for us on the cross. So it shows that God loves us. It shows that God cares for us and it provides a way of salvation. Whoever believes in Christ is forgiven their sin. Because Christ died for them on the cross. And whoever believes in Christ follows in Christ's footsteps in the resurrection. Jesus was raised from death to life. And so all who trust in Christ will also be resurrected. Jesus in his resurrection defeated death. And when he returns in glory at his second coming, death will be destroyed. And all who trust in Christ will be resurrected from the dead and live in everlasting life. This is the gospel that we believe. This is the good news that we preached last week. This is the good news that we preach every week here at Christchurch Fairham. And last week, as part of our Easter service, we also put a little money um, into a Facebook ad of that service. And we reached over 4,000 people in the Fairham area. So over 4,000 different people living in this area saw that advert appear on their Facebook newsfeed. And many people watched some or all of that service, which is amazing, really. It was just £20, a small amount of money, to reach a large number of people in our community. Now, every time the gospel is proclaimed, every time that video was watched, on Facebook. It's as if a seed 
was thrown out. A seed was sown. And in Matthew chapter 13, the passage that we're going to read this morning, Jesus tells a parable about a sower, someone casting out seed, someone throwing out the good news of Christianity, someone throwing out the word of the kingdom, Jesus calls it in Matthew. And what the parable that we're going to read explains is, why do some people immediately reject and fail to understand the good news of Christianity? While other people immediately respond positively to the good news, but then fall away and don't follow through on the call to repentance which is involved in the kingdom of heaven. And why do some other people hear and believe and give their life to Jesus Christ and bear much fruit, growing in holiness and obedience to God's commands and bringing others also into the kingdom, proclaiming the good news that they they not only grow into a fruitful plant, they also become a sower and throw out seed themselves so that others hear and believe. Why is that? Why does that happen? Well, that's what this passage of scripture is all about. Let's read together a famous parable in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower. And I'm going to read Matthew 13 verses 1 to 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. Truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. 
As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. I want to begin this morning by dealing with the middle section, verses 10 to 17. Jesus tells a parable in verses 1 to 9, then he explains why he speaks in parables, and then after verse 17 he explains the meaning of the parable of the sower. And I want to start with that middle section, why does Jesus talk in parables? And I've entitled this section of my sermon, Eyes, Ears and Hearts. The disciples say to Jesus in verse 10, why do you speak in parables? Why don't you just tell people what you mean, Jesus? Why are you using a story to explain this truth? And you might expect Jesus to respond by saying, well, Peter, well, John, well, James, the reason I speak in parables is because people like stories and they enjoy listening to little, little ditties, little parables. That's why I tell that's why I t- speak these truths in parables. Or, or you might think that Jesus would respond like this. Well, the reason why I tell parables, parables is to make complicated things very simple. Those would be two good reasons to speak in parables. But Jesus says something completely different to that. That's not what Jesus says. He, he doesn't speak in parables because people like stories. He doesn't speak in parables to make complicated things seem very simple. Instead, this is what Jesus says about parables. He speaks in parables to distinguish between two groups of people. Have a look at what Jesus says in verse 11. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. A gift has been given according to Jesus in verse 11. God, Jesus Christ himself, have given the disciples a gift. And the gift is wonderful, isn't it? To know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. To know the secrets of God's kingdom. What a wonderful, wonderful gift. He said the same thing in verse 16, in a sense. In verse 16, Jesus says this, Blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Well, if there's a blessing, who is giving that blessing? Well, the answer is God. God has blessed your eyes. God has blessed your ears, so that they understand, so that they see and hear these amazing secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So the reason Jesus speaks in parables is because there's one group to whom the parables speak speak and reveal these amazing secrets. But there's another group to whom this gift has not been given. Have a look at the end of verse 11. Jesus says, to you it has been given, but to others it has not been given. 
Jesus speaks in parables to distinguish between two groups. The ones who will understand the parables and know the meaning of the parables, the disciples, and those others who won't understand, won't perceive. This is what Jesus says about those people in verses 13 to 15. They see, but they don't really see. They don't perceive what's going on. They see Jesus doing miracles, or or they read about those miracles in the Bible. But they don't really see, they don't really perceive. They hear, but they don't really hear. They don't understand what they're hearing. They hear Jesus preaching. Or today, they hear preachers preaching. They hear Christians telling them the good news of Christ. And they hear with their ears, but they don't really listen. They don't really understand. They don't really get under the skin of what's being said. In verse 15, Jesus says about these people, they have dull hearts. They have ears that barely hear. And they have closed eyes. Two groups of people. Those to whom a gift has been given, and those to whom they have dull hearts, closed ears, and closed eyes. And of course, Jesus quotes from Isaiah in making his point. And so what I want to do, just for a moment, is explore the Old Testament, and especially highlight this Old Testament idea that it is God himself who opens ears and eyes and changes hearts. This is a clear idea in the Old Testament. It is God who opens ears, it's God who opens eyes, and it's God who changes hearts. So Proverbs 20 verse 12 says this, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. And that verse doesn't just mean that God created ears and God created eyes. It is It is saying that, but it's also talking on a spiritual level that it's God who creates seeing eyes, eyes that really perceive the truth. And it's God who creates hearing ears, ears that really understand what's going on in the world. Psalm 40, verse 6, the Psalm of David, says this, My ears you have opened to hear the truth of your existence, Lord God. Isaiah 50, verse 5. The Lord God has opened our ear, uh, has opened my ear, says the prophet Isaiah, and I was not rebellious. Those three verses show that God opens ears. God creates hearing ears. Well, let's consider eyes. In 2 Kings 6, verse 17, there's this amazing story about the prophet Elisha. And Elisha prays and says, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And then it says, so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. There's a story, a true historical event of the prophet Elisha that's designed to reveal that it's God who opens eyes to see what is true. Psalm 146 verse 8 says this, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Isaiah 35, Isaiah again, 35 verse 5 says, the eyes of the blind shall be opened. By the Lord is the implication of that verse. And of course, in the New Testament, Jesus often heals people who are born blind or people who struggle with blindness. Temi read one of those stories earlier, referenced one of those stories earlier, where Jesus opens the eyes of 
the man born blind. So it's God who opens ears or gives hearing ears. It's God who opens eyes. Now, let's consider hearts. Ezekiel 11 verse 19 says this. This is God speaking. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. It's God who changes the heart. It's God who takes a stone heart and makes it a true fleshy heart. It's God that takes a dull heart and enlivens it and makes it alive. Psalm 51 verse 10, another psalm of David. David prays, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And the prophet Isaiah, once again, Isaiah 57 verse 15. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. I dwell with him who is of a contrite, lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. You see, in that verse, it's God who revives the heart. It's God who takes a dull heart and gives it new life. And so you see throughout the Old Testament this theme emerging. God opens ears, God opens eyes, and God changes and revives the heart. And in those three verses that I've quoted, you see very clearly the connection between the heart being transformed and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit and the heart work together. And this is what we see in the New Testament. When Jesus comes, he teaches the doctrine of regeneration that we've spoken about in previous sermons, which says that we need new life. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, what he does, what the Holy Spirit does, is is regenerate, is revive the heart gives it new life, starts it beating spiritually once more. He takes what is dead and brings life. And so Jesus, in Matthew 13, when he speaks about ears, eyes and hearts, and he speaks about one group of people to whom the secrets of the kingdom are revealed and another group to whom the secrets are not revealed, what Jesus is doing is he's emphasising the sovereign will of God in a person hearing, seeing, and believing the things of the kingdom of God. Do you see that emphasis? If God is the one who opens ears, if God is the one who opens eyes, if God is the one who changes hearts, if God is the one who gives a gift to some and not to others, then this reveals that God works in his wisdom and his sovereign will to choose people to reveal the secrets of the kingdom. God is sovereign in salvation. We say, don't we, salvation belongs to the Lord. And this, this, these middle section of Matthew 13 reveals that so powerfully and obviously that salvation belongs to God. He opens ears, he opens eyes, he changes hearts in order that we might receive and understand and hear and see the secrets of the good news of Christianity. And yet, that does not mean we can be passive. In verse 9, in Matthew 13, verse 9, Jesus says, he who has ears Let him hear. The implication is this. Because God is the one who opens ears, we need to actively use our ears to hear and incline our hearts and to see. Do you you see? It's not just that God sovereignly works in our lives. It's that all those who have received this gift from God do actively listen in. Oh, Jesus 
sharing a parable. Let me listen in. I need to incline my ear. I need to open my eyes. I need to open my heart to receive the truth that Jesus is teaching. And this fits with the Old Testament as well. We've already seen the Old Testament. There's an emphasis on God opening ears and eyes and changing hearts. But there's also instruction in the Old Testament where God says, incline your ears. God says, open your eyes. God says, rend your hearts. So this isn't a question of God doing it all and us being us being passive. It's God doing it all and us responding actively by inclining our ears, opening our eyes and rending our hearts. A picture here in Matthew 13 is of God's sovereignty in salvation and human choice acting in parallel, acting together so that a person hears and sees and believes the good news of the kingdom of heaven. God's sovereignty comes first and is primary. It says in the Bible, we love God because he first loved us. So so there's no doubt that God's sovereignty comes first, but our obedience to that call of God in our lives is the necessary response. And this this is how lives are changed. This is how people believe. God sovereignly chooses a person And in accordance with God's sovereign choice, a person chooses to believe, to hear, see and believe the good news of the kingdom of heaven. God's sovereignty and human choice work in parallel together. That's what Jesus is teaching in this middle section. Why does he teach in parables? To distinguish between those whom God has chosen to reveal the secrets of the kingdom, who will actively see, hear and respond to the gospel, and to those who this gift has not been given, whose hearts are dull, whose ears are blocked, and whose eyes are closed. And so the first thing, if if you're a Christian, you're listening to this teaching, the first thing, the first way we must respond is to be thankful to God for what he has done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you have opened my ears. Thank you that you've opened my eyes. Thank you that you've revived my heart so that I believe the secret things of the kingdom. Lord, what a privilege that these secret things have been revealed to me. We need to be thankful Christians, believing that our salvation is is totally dependent on God's sovereign will. And and we see throughout Scripture that God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. God chooses the weak things to shame the strong. And so not only should this cause thankfulness in our hearts, it should also cause us to be humble. I'm not a Christian because I'm brilliant, because I'm wise, because I'm strong, because I'm worked out. No, I'm a Christian solely because of God's sovereign will, his choice, his acting in my life, his work upon my ears, his work upon my eyes, his work upon my heart. Christians who understand God's sovereignty in salvation are full of thanksgiving for what God has done in their lives. And they are humble, humble Christians. And in thankfulness and in humility, let us now actively listen and see and believe as we incline our ears to focus on the parable of the sower that Jesus shares in Matthew 13. So we've dealt with that middle section about why Jesus speaks in parables. Now let's handle the actual parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the sower, which begins in verse 3, with a sower sowing. The sower in question 
is first and foremost Jesus Christ himself. Jesus goes into the world and he sows seeds. He shares the good news of the kingdom of heaven. We've seen that several times in Matthew, haven't we? That Jesus goes and he preaches. He does amazing miracles, signs and wonders and healings, and he preaches a message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And every time he preached that message, he was sowing a seed, throwing out a seed, throwing out the secrets and the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is primarily the sower in question in verse 3. But we've also seen how Jesus gives this mission to sow seed to the apostles. The apostles went out and also proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. So the apostles in Matthew's gospel are sowers who sow seed, throw out little nuggets of truth about Jesus's kingdom. And of course, as the story develops throughout Matthew's gospel, we see that all Christians are called to be sowers. At the end of the gospel of Matthew, the culmination of the gospel is the Great Commission where Jesus says to his disciples, go, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have taught you. Surely I am with you, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus says. And that instruction given to his apostles is given to every Christian every believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus instructs you, Jesus tells you to go and make disciples and baptise them and teach them the things that Jesus teaches us in the gospel. And so really the first way this this parable challenges us is, is this, are you sowing? Are you telling others the good news of the kingdom? Are you speaking about Jesus' death? Are you speaking about Jesus' resurrection? Are you talking about forgiveness? Are you talking about the resurrection to come and eternal life? Are you sharing things about your relationship with God? Are you sharing the way your testimony and the way God has transformed your life? Are you throwing out seed? Are you sowing seed? Are you following Jesus' example? This is what it is to be a Christian. Firstly, that you're saved by Jesus' amazing work upon the cross and in his resurrection. So Jesus comes first as a saviour, but secondly, he also comes as an example to follow. And every Christian who's been made alive by the Holy Spirit should seek to follow Jesus' example. And so just as Jesus sows seed, so we need to be bold to sow seed. Let's not shrink back. Let's not be scared. Let's not be cautious let's be bold like Jesus to throw out little truths about the kingdom of heaven let's sow seed now whoever does the sowing there are four types of people there are four types of response to the word of the kingdom in this passage even when Jesus sows the seed There are people who respond negatively. So how much more when we sow the seed will some people not respond in the way we want them to? So there are four types of people, four types of of soil, as it were, four types of response shown in Matthew chapter 13 in this parable that Jesus tells. Firstly, in verse 4, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured And Jesus explains that picture in verse 19. He says this, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom 
and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what has been sown in his heart. So some seed falls along the path, a bird comes down and devours it. And that's a metaphor for people who don't understand the word of the kingdom. And Satan comes, the evil one comes, snatches it away so that the seed does not grow. This person does not believe the message of the kingdom of heaven. And there will be people watching, especially online as we reach lots of new people, there will be people watching who don't understand the gospel. They won't understand that Jesus died for our sin, was buried and was raised to life, so that all who believe in him enter into his eternal kingdom. That's the gospel that we proclaim. And there'll be some people who just don't understand that. Even now, as I, as I speak that message, as, as we proclaim this gospel, even now, Satan is hovering and then swooping in to snatch away the truth of this glorious good news that Jesus died for us and that he was raised to new life, that we can have forgiveness, that we can have freedom from sin and shame and guilt through the cross of Christ. And there's even now Satan swooping in like a bird to devour that truth, that seed that has been sown. And so if that's you, If you're someone sitting there thinking, I'm I'm not sure I understand the good news of Christianity. I'm not sure I understand why Jesus died. I'm not sure I understand what significance it has that Jesus rose from the dead. My encouragement to you is persevere. Don't fall prey to the evil one, but seek to have your questions answered. You can email us, contact at christchurchbarium.co.uk. We'd love to answer your questions. But more importantly, you need to go and, and seek the truth from God's word. Open up your Bibles or listen to our Easter sermons on Good Friday and Easter Sunday to find out why Jesus died. Why was he resurrected to dead? Why does that make a difference? Seek to understand. Persevere. Don't switch off. Don't move away. Don't be someone who the bird swoops in and steals this seed that's been sown in your heart. But persevere. Look for truth and reach out to God. Pray to God now that he would open your eyes, ears and change your heart. That's the first response that's the first group of people who we don't want to be like where the seed is just taken away immediately by satan and so persevere seek to understand keep asking questions we love questions in the church we don't shy away from questions we want to answer them there's a second response a second group of people in verse five other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. And this group of people is explained in verse 20, when Jesus says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. There are people who are only surface level Christians, not real Christians at all. 
just like this seed that immediately springs up. And on the surface, you go, wow, this plant's doing really well. It's growing really quickly, but it has no depth of root. Underneath the soil, the plant is not alive, is not thriving, is imminently going to die and be scorched up by the sun. There are surface level Christians. On the outside, they look good. They attend church, they sing the songs, they pray the prayers. Some of them even occupy pulpits in churches around this country. But there is no roots, there is no reality inside of salvation and the truth of the kingdom. Their hearts have not been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Their hearts are actually dull even as, on the surface, they appear to follow Christ. In a society like ours, especially historically, um, where many, many people went to church historically, many of these people sat in churches for many, many years, never being found out because there was no persecution or tribulation. It was easy to be a Christian. Um, if you go a long way back, it was even expected of you that you would go to church. And so people sat in churches and on the surface looked like they were doing really well, but in their hearts were dead, were dull, were dying. Even now, in our society, which is changing, is shifting, and Christianity is more persecuted than it has been over the last hundred years, and yet there's still tolerance of Christianity, and so there will be people sitting in churches who are only surface-level Christians. In other words, they are not Christians at all. They are only putting on a show on the surface. And so this group of people, this response to the secret things of the kingdom of God, brings two very important warnings that we must heed. The first warning is examine yourself. Has the Holy Spirit truly transformed your heart, or are you only a surface level Christian, which isn't really a Christian at all? A good way to assess whether the Holy Spirit truly has transformed your heart is to consider your secret worship life as opposed to your public worship life. If you're, if you're just attending church on a Sunday and publicly showing that you love Jesus, but during the week in the secret and private prayer and Bible reading and relationship with God is completely non-existent, then it's very likely that you have not been transformed by the Holy Spirit and you need to cry out to God, change me. Holy Spirit, come. Give me real new spiritual life. I don't want to be a surface level Christian with no root. I want to be a real Christian made alive in the Holy Spirit. And even if you have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, even when you examine yourself, you're rejoicing because you're saying, yes, the Holy Spirit really has grabbed hold of me. You need to pray as well for inner renewal again, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you again. This is, this is the pattern set out in the New Testament, not that we're once filled with the Holy Spirit, that we're filled with the Holy Spirit over and over. God renews us over and over in the power of the Holy Spirit. So each of us should be examining ourselves and then whatever we find, praying for the Holy Spirit to come upon us. That's the first warning. Don't be a surface level Christian. Be, be transformed in your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the second warning. Know that persecution and tribulation will come. And this, the persecution described is on account of the word. It's persecution for being a Christian. It's tribulation because you believe the secret things of the kingdom that Jesus reveals to his disciples. And we need to be ready for it. We need to be ready for it. We need to expect it. 
we need to trust Jesus through times of persecution and tribulation. And when we're not being tried, when we're not being persecuted, those are times when we need to build our faith, build our trust, rely on God, because when those times of persecution and tribulation come, we need to be ready. Let's not be like the seeds that fall on rocky ground. Let's not be surface level Christians. And let's not be um, vulnerable to tribulation and persecution. A third group of people, a third response is described in verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Explained in verse 22 by Jesus. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Again, this third category comes with a stark warning. There are thorns in the world that will keep you from being fruitful for the kingdom of heaven. And so really the message of this third group of people is make Jesus your first love and your greatest treasure. Love Jesus and treasure Jesus more than you treasure the cares of this world and riches. Let me remind you that to submit to Jesus as servant is more glorious than to be king over all the kingdoms of the earth. It's wonderful to be loved, to be saved, and to follow Jesus as king. It's better than all the riches of this world. And so let's heed the warning in this third category of people. Firstly, beware of riches. Beware of wealth. Riches are deceitful. Riches promise happiness, but do not deliver. Riches promise happiness, but do not deliver. We can spend our lives yearning after money, yearning after wealth, yearning after the good life. And that can be our thought life. We spend all of our thoughts thinking about what life would be like if we won the lottery, or what life would be like if we earned another £10,000 a year, what life would be like if we had as much money as the person next door, or it can be in your actual life where you just live all of your life to earn as much money as possible and you do everything you can to earn money and your, your work just overshadows everything else you do because you're eager to gain riches. Whether it's your thought life or your actual life, in those scenarios, wealth has surpassed Jesus as our first love. And we need to rip out that thought. We need to repent. We need to remind ourselves of just how magnificent Christ is of how wonderful he is, how he infinitely surpasses the promise of riches. Because riches are deceitful, even if you win the lottery, even if you earn that extra salary, even if you had as much money as the person living next door, you, you still wouldn't find happiness in those riches, because riches deceive. Beware riches. And very briefly, something I sometimes pray is, Lord, keep me from becoming too rich. Don't give me riches that I can't handle. Don't give me wealth that would distract me and pull me away from Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. Money can be a useful thing. It's amazing the way that churches use money to share the gospel. And so money is a, is a good thing. It, it's good that the, the church would 
would be rich, in order that it would use money to, sh- to share the word of the gospel. And yet I think it's a wise thing to pray, Lord, don't give me more money than I can handle. Don't give me more wealth that would take me away from following Jesus. Lord, make me poor in order that I might be rich in Christ. Those are wise prayers to pray. Second warning in this third category of people is that there are cares of the world that can take you from Christ. And if, you would, if you're a busy person, if you consider yourself a busy person, it's worth considering what are the cares of this world that are taking up my time? Cares of this world can steal you from Jesus Christ. Some cares need to be dropped completely. Perhaps computer games that just completely take over your life. You spend your whole time thinking or playing computer games. That's just a care of this world. Or, Or perhaps it's not even a care of this world. It's a care of the digital world, which is sapping you from worshipping Jesus Christ with all that you are. Maybe you have an unhealthy obsession with with how you look and you spend all your your time caring about how you're presented before others, makeup and and making yourself look good and working out in order to impress others. I'm not saying that working out is is a bad thing necessarily, but it can become an obsession with how you look towards others. That's a care of this world which is pulling you away from Christ. There are so many others that I could reference, but those are the two that I want to mention this morning. Some cares need to be dropped. I mean, to say, actually, I, I no longer want to care about that. I need to just strip that from my life. I need to stop that. Some cares need to be shared with Jesus. I'm, I'm thinking at this point particularly about parents raising children. Maybe your whole life is about raising children and Jesus isn't involved. You're busy because you've got something really important, a really important care in this world that you're devoting yourself to, and you're not involving Jesus. And and I think the the solution is to say, yeah, I need to care for my children, but I want to do it with Jesus. I'm going to make prayer my foremost weapon in raising my children. I'm going to devote myself to praying for my children with them and over them as much as I possibly can. And every time I'm, I'm doing things to look after my children, I'm going to involve Christ. Jesus, help me as I, as I do this. Help me as I cook dinner. Help me as I clean the house. Help me as I play with my children to be light, to be the light in, that, in their lives. Point them to Christ. Show them Jesus over and over again. Cares of this world cease to be cares of this world. If we involve Christ, they become heavenly cares and worshipful moments. And that's my encouragement to parents. That's my encouragement for anyone who thinks that cares of this world are pulling you from Jesus Christ. Repent. Rip out that thorn. Involve Christ in all of your life. Worship him with everything that you do. Every moment is a moment of worship to Christ. And if there's anything that's just unhealthy and an obsession, rip it out. Take it away in order that you might have Jesus. Because there are thorns in this world that will choke your faith. And we want to avoid them. Finally then, there's a fourth type of soil. There's a fourth response described in verse 8. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And Jesus explains this group of people in verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and indeed bears fruit and yields. They hear with their ears. 
They understand with their heart the good news of the kingdom of heaven. This isn't just intellectual knowledge and understanding. This is heartfelt understanding. This reality of Jesus being king transforms my life. It shapes what I love, what I care about, everything I do. It's a heartfelt understanding of the good news of Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, in verse 15, Jesus tells this same parable. Luke reports the same parable. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 8, verse 15. Hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Hear the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and hear Um, Sorry, and bear fruit with patience. And so based on Luke's telling of this parable, we might say, have we heard the good news of the kingdom? Are we holding it fast in our hearts? And are we patiently growing in holiness and bearing fruit? But Matthew, when Matthew reports this story, he leaves out those words. And so for Matthew, the good soil is defined predominantly by how it's different to the other types of soil. The fourth response is defined by how it's different from the other types of responses. And so as I draw to a close, I just want to say this about the good soil. The good soil hears and understands the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Those people who are good soil apply their mind to reading the word of God, seeking to understand it, and they pray prayers like, open my eyes, open my ears, open my heart as I read this word. May I see Jesus, may I hear the truth, and may I respond wholeheartedly in belief to what Jesus reveals. Unlike the first type of soil, the first seed that falls upon the path, the good soil hears and understands the words of the kingdom. Secondly, the good soil has heartfelt transformation. They rely on the Holy Spirit to transform their heart. They don't become surface level Christians like the second type of response, like the second seed. Rather, they become true Christians because the Spirit transforms them. They pray prayers like this, Holy Spirit, come and change my heart. So good soul hears and understands the word of the kingdom. They experience heartfelt transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, They make Jesus their first love, above riches and above the cares of this world. Do not pursue riches. Do not be deceived by riches. Do not let worldly cares surpass your love for Christ. For this is what the good soil does. Loves Jesus above all things. Good soil, if you want to be part of this fourth category, and we all want to be part of this fourth category that receives the words of the kingdom, that grows and bears fruit in holiness and obedience and by sharing the gospel with others. This is what we all long for. This is what we all need in our lives. While they hear and understand the gospel, they experience heartfelt transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit and they make Jesus their first love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of the Bible we have read have been sown in good soil this morning. I pray that the words I've spoken and the words that we've read would bear fruit in the lives of all those who are listening. Lord, would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes? Would you enliven our hearts to see 
and hear and believe what is true. And may it be a heartfelt response so that all our life, our whole life is from the inside out is transformed to glorify you and bear fruit. And Lord, I pray for plants that bear a hundredfold the seed that was sown. 60 and 30 as well, but Lord, I'm praying for a hundredfold in terms of the fruit that we produce. Holy Spirit, come and move in power. Make hearts alive. Take dull hearts and make them alive. Take closed ears and open them. Take closed eyes and open them, Holy Spirit, for your glory. Lord, thank you for the salvation that you have brought to us who believe. We praise you and glorify you and thank you. And we ask that we would be fruitful for your kingdom. Thank you for revealing the secrets of the kingdom to us. We praise and glorify you today and this week and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.